Welcome to Leadership Works with Chris and Karen Conley. If you haven't figured it out, this is Karen, and I am in studio with my better half, my husband, and the lead pastor of High Point Church, Chris Conley. It's good to see you. (laughs) Yeah. In our busyness of life, this is the first time we've seen one another today, connecting a little bit here over the podcast, but excited to talk about part two of last week's podcast where we're talking about how champions think in that we had the privilege to go to the Jim Blanchard Leadership Forum recently and we heard a lot of champions, right? We heard a lot of amazing people from the business world, from the sports world, all kind of different sectors of expertise. So we hope to share some of their best practices with you today. Well, if you missed part one of How Champions Think, definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that. But we wanted to dive in today with part two. You and I have both just grown in so much love and respect for Jim Blanchard, president and CEO of Sonova Bank for over 30 years. He's a gentleman that you respect. You kind of lean in and want to listen to. Maybe start with one of the nuggets that you took away that would be an encouragement and a piece of wisdom for our audience. Yeah, before I share about his wisdom, I'd like to reference another podcast we do. It's called Lead Like Jesus. And if you go to that podcast in the archives, we have done two interviews with Jim, and that would give you the opportunity to really hear his backstory, hear how he became the leader that he is. And the man is so incredibly humble And there's just so much there to respect about his personal and professional life. So would love for you to do that. But also there were a few things he said at the Jim Blanchard Leadership Forum that I just thought were so profound. And here's one of the takeaways that I had. A leader must not get involved in an inward focus. Whatever the leader does, guard himself, herself, protect yourself, inward focus, exception. If it's normal for people to let you down, then you must not let it get you down. And I thought that was such a great point that if we can reprogram our expectations and know that part of leadership is problem solving in that problem solving, it is going to be normal for people to fall beneath your expectations at times or fall beneath the goals at times. And there's going to be times that the performance falls short. There's going to be times that the attitude falls short. So people letting you down is a part of leadership, but don't let that get you down. He said, a true leader rises above it and makes others better. So when we see that someone is falling short in some way, instead of us being critical of that person, it's really a leadership challenge. How do we rise above it and make that person better? It is kind of the natural tendency in our flesh to become a little bit inward focused. But exactly to your point, leadership is not a reward. It's a responsibility. God has entrusted you to be in a position to help other people. So that's helping them develop. That's helping them grow. Just like with our children, they are going to disappoint. That's just part of the process. But that is why we are here as a parent. And that is why you are there as a leader. And it really goes back to the whole Damon. This podcast, Leadership Works. Leadership doesn't work when it's about the leader. Leadership works when it's about others. The other thing that was a really major takeaway from listening to Jim 
is he defined what his number one criteria was for hiring people. And if there's anything that I've learned in 20 plus years of leadership, 20 years of leading a church, and a lot of people think, oh, well, you shouldn't have any problems whatsoever in leading a church. I mean, everyone should just do all things in excellence, right? And everyone should just have the best attitude. And I got to tell you this, that it's incredibly challenging because guess what? Even church people are imperfect people, right? And not only that, you're not only leading your paid staff, but you're leading volunteers. You ever tried to kind of tell a volunteer they're doing a bad job? That's not a very popular thing. Hiring people is the most important decision you're going to make. It's either going to increase the health of your organization or decrease the health of your organization. It's going to accelerate your ability to accomplish your goals, or it's going to cause you to fall behind. So when I heard him talk about his number one criteria for hiring people, it really got my attention. So unveiled his criteria. What was the one thing that he uses in his hiring as the top candidate? for? Well, one of the things that he said, the qualifications, the criteria that I'm going to give you, you're probably going to never see those spelled out on a resume. So he said the first thing that he looks for is a person who absolutely hates to lose, hates to lose. There is this competitor built into them because typically when you are a competitor, you also have a work ethic. That was number one. Second, he said brain power. That's kind of self-explanatory. You want someone with the intellect to be able to problem solve, understand a vision, put a strategy together and execute that. But then here's another way of saying brain power in a different way. He said street smart. Someone with that common sense and just understanding how real life works and how relationships work and how sales work and and the nuances of things. But then I love the last thing that he said, because, see, when you say someone who hates to lose and you say someone who's a competitor, I mean, you get a certain personality in mind. But the last thing he said was empathy for others. You want to hire someone who cares about people. So they're not so competitive. They win at all cost. They win with a team minus instead of winning without a team. Maybe you're listening to this podcast desiring to make your way up the ladder and think, you know, I don't have some of the titles and some of the degrees or some of the years of experience to say there are definitely um, successful, godly leaders out there that are looking beyond the resume to someone's character. So don't ever let that be a deterrent for you. One of the things you just said made me think of a quote from Jim Nance. We talked about him during our last podcast and he was phenomenal by the way I mean I was just so impressed with him and his stories were remarkable but one of the things that he said is you can coach by intimidation or you can coach by inspiration all of us have seen examples of both of those I really really respect people who can inspire me to action And then I actually can resent people who try to intimidate me to action. One moves me closer to them as a person, and one moves me further away from them as a person. The other thing that I thought that was so helpful when you're in leadership, Jim Nance talked about the importance of how you handle the public, how you handle your public image, and how you need to be gracious. And he talked about this experience with President Bush and President Clinton And that he was telling Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, I want you to watch as we go into this small town and as we go into this restaurant, I want you to watch how these two men, 
handle the public and never, ever forget it and apply this to your life in the way that you handle the public. And he says, first and foremost, they're going to be gracious. Second, they're going to be incredibly patient. They're going to shake every single hand and they're going to listen to people and people are going to talk to them longer than they should, but they're going to continue to be patient. And then lastly, they're going to be kind. What a teachable moment. As much as we can have things that are critical to say about politicians, they actually modeled a type of leadership to two very famous people that later Tom Brady came back up to Jim Nance years later and said, I have never forgotten that lesson. It doesn't matter if it's in a small town or you're on the big stage in the bright lights. All of us can maybe not respond to other people kindly and be impatient with people. And so it was certainly a first-class lesson. For now, that. speaking of Tom Brady, truly a Hall of Fame quarterback, well, another Hall of Fame quarterback that had a lot of battles with Tom Brady through the years was Peyton Manning. And we also had the privilege of hearing Peyton Manning speak at the Jim Blanchard Leadership Forum. What a legacy that exists within the Manning family. His dad, Archie, brother Eli, Peyton, such a legacy, not only of football excellence, but what was so impressive in what we were able to see modeled before us, just a legacy of being a first-class gentleman, a legacy of truly conducting yourself in a way that is respectful and that just models manners and models what it means to respect people and be kind to people. And so it was a real privilege to hear him. And one of my takeaways from this, not only did Peyton speak, but after he spoke, they interviewed him. And I just thought you can gain so much valuable insight and wisdom from interviewing people who are legends at what they do. There's just so many nuances of packaged truth there. One of the things that Peyton talked about, public glory requires private sacrifices. Public glory requires private sacrifices. Now, Karen, I'm going to shift gears and kind of ask you a question. You serve as the women's director at High Point Church, and you also were the associate director at Rhodes College in the business world, and you had your hand in business world, and you've had your hand in ministry world, but probably the toughest job in the world is motherhood. When I read this quote, I think public glory requires private sacrifices. Maybe you're the most qualified person to actually speak on the significance of that quote because no one makes more private sacrifices than a mom. You just threw the curveball. We don't plan these things out really too scripted. Wasn't expecting that question, but it's so funny that you say that because as our children are now almost out of the nest with a junior and a senior, how many years have we done those things in private, whether it be on our knees praying for our kids or all the just selfless acts that every time the text comes through now... It was so much easier, I think, to parent when your children didn't have phones, not only because of all that's exposed out there on technology and all the things you don't want your children to see, but the fact that they have access to you, even during the school day, despite the school rules. There are many, many selfless acts going on all day long as we continue to help our children. But it's that remembering in those early years of parenting, and even I don't feel like I'm in the early years anymore, but the harvest will come later as they leave our home and as you hear other people talk about engaging with your children. That's when you kind of have those quiet moments of knowing there's a little quote unquote public glory when you know that your son or daughter has handled themselves well, they've made a good decision and that all of those things that you have done to model generosity or to model character or to model 
spiritual disciplines was not taken in vain. They were paying attention. That gives you that picture of it's a sometimes it's a lot of plowing the soil and a lot of planting the seed. But there is that point where you get to enjoy the produce, the harvest of it. When I listen to you talk about that from the perspective of parenting, and then I do put that back into the perspective of what Peyton Manning was talking about, whether it's athletics or whether it's the business world. In Peyton's world, the public glory comes on Sunday. It's game day. But how many hours went into practice over the years? That's that private sacrifice. And if you're going to be a great leader, leaders are often most publicly recognized by these moments where they get the opportunity to speak at an event or to cast vision or something of that nature. But those leaders don't take shortcuts to the top, typically. A leader is built upon that private sacrifice day in, day out. And I just would caution everybody from guarding against that whenever you see someone kind of rise to the top of their profession, to think that that somehow just magically happened. No, there has been a lot of behind-the-scenes work. What we really know biblically is you reap what you sow. And so there's been a lot of sowing that has occurred in that process. Well, and I would also just encourage you, no matter where you are in your professional leadership or your public fame, if you're a Peyton Manning or anywhere in between, honestly, it is those people who have seen you in private that will know your character the most. And so as a leader, you will know that if you have been a successful leader, if those people closest to you hold you in the highest regard, the people that surround a Jim Blanchard, They speak so highly of him, the people that are around Peyton Manning. But if your wife, your children, your husband think highly of you, you know that you're doing the right things. But if those closest to you see those inconsistencies, see you to be someone different than what the public knows, then you really need to stop and you really need to ask some questions so that your leadership is first and foremost to the people that you love. As we continue to talk about Peyton Manning for a second, he is famous for a lot of things, not only his humorous commercials, but probably one of the things in recent years that he's become most famous for is calling the audible. He's shouting at the line of scrimmage, Omaha, Omaha. And he talked about a great leadership principle in light of this audible calling Omaha is he said that leaders must pivot to change strategy without changing their vision. Leaders must pivot to change strategy without changing their vision. That reminds me of another great principle is that our visions stay the same. They should stay the same, but our strategies rarely do. As we go throughout time, we need to be able to change the strategy to still execute our vision because the economy changes, technology changes, the culture changes. There are all kinds of changes that are occurring that strategies become outdated. But frequently, if you've got the right vision, that vision will be timeless. So I just thought he just used an incredible picture of his ability to call uh, audible to read the defense and to change the play. The vision was the same, get a first down. The vision was the same, score a touchdown. The vision was the same, to score more points than another team and win. But you have to know what the defense presents, and you have to be willing to change the strategy, change the play, in order to continue to execute the vision. 
when I heard the name Bill Curry, I was probably typical to many women like, now who was he? But as we had the opportunity to hear both Peyton and then to follow up with Bill Curry, who was a Super Bowl champion, a coach, and now is an inspirational speaker and author, he certainly lived up to his title of an inspirational speaker and had so many other life lessons, less from the position of a player, though he was that as well, but uh, from his coaching experience. Maybe in our time that we have, share your favorite from Coach Curry. If you have never had the opportunity to hear him speak, do not miss your next opportunity. He's got a book and can't remember the specific title of the book, but I think it's called It Is In The Huddle, or it might be just be called The Huddle. That was an incredible concept that he talked about that everything you need to know about life, you can really find in the huddle. He talked about there are all these different personalities in the huddle. There's all these different strengths and weaknesses represented in the huddle. But what a leader has to do is a leader has to take all these individuals that are represented in that huddle, all the differences that exist within that huddle, but find the common goal, the common vision rally all their strengths around that vision, minimize their weaknesses, has to be able to rally the people in that huddle to go accomplish the vision. And he just gave example after example of the value of being a member of a team and how relational you as a leader need to be with your team. I loved his illustration when he was talking about the huddle and he talked about in a huddle, you can't even get your shirt off by yourself as a member of the team. You're sweaty and you're all nasty after a football game. You need one another. He said there is no room for hate Mm. in a huddle. As he was talking about just the condition of our country and how football is so represents what we love about this idea of everybody with different strengths and different races and different backgrounds all coming together but within that huddle that hate cannot exist and he talked about that the sweat smells the same on everyone and that was just a powerful moment for everybody in the room that is there is something about that that we can't lose and that we need to remember in in whatever huddle we have in our life those same values should come through Yeah, I so respected the way that he was able to take those stories from football and make them so real to what is occurring in life today. And one of the things that he said is, okay, in the world of leadership, a lot of times what is most recognizable first is your ability. So a lot of times the first thing that you see is, does this person have talent or not? Does this person have the greatness of ability or not? He said, I was never that person. I was never the person that was known for my talent first. He said, but here's what I dedicated myself to, and here's what I knew I could be the best at. I could give people my heart. And he said, I have spent my entire life as a teammate and as a coach dedicating myself to know that the greatest thing I could give people was I would give them my heart. And because he gave people his heart and the reason why we loved his talk so much is he gave us his heart in all these different stories. And then he just concluded the talk in such a powerful, authoritative way, once again, giving his heart. He said this, this was another great principle of his, everybody in life has a choice. And it's this choice, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. 
And that's the choice that you have to make, how you're going to lead in your marriage, how you're going to lead in your family as a parent, how you're going to lead in the workplace, how you're going to lead in your church. See, there are two pains in life, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. The first is temporary. The other lasts forever. You alone decide which to endure. Let me repeat that one more time. There are two pains in life, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. The first is temporary. The other lasts forever. You alone decide which to endure. Piggybacking on that, one of the other terms that I so appreciated that he talked about, the fellowship of the miserable. You do not want to let the fellowship of the miserable into your huddle. If you have those people in your life, you have those people on your team, you want to love them, you want to pray for them, and you want to avoid them. What tends to happen, they don't want you to succeed at something hard because it would actually reveal that they haven't tried anything hard. And so there will be people in your life, we talked about in the Jim Nance illustration, how his teammates made him better. There will be people that you want to love and pray for, but if they are just the people in your huddle that are the fellowship of the miserable, then you need to do what you can to distance yourself so that it does not affect you as you are pursuing what the Lord has for you. So as we wrap up today, I will conclude by saying something that Bill Curry said, at the end of the day, the only words that matter are the words of the master. And he talked about that the thing that we should depend upon the most are faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Thank you for joining us for this Leadership Works podcast. If you want more information or to follow either of us, you can go to chrisconley.net or follow him at chrisconley on Twitter. Also, you can follow me at karenconley.com or karenconley on Twitter with an I, K-A-R-I-N, Conley, C-O-N-L-E-E. Until next time.